Thank you. Man, I, I just love being with you. I, I, I've loved being with the, the leadership. Um, I needed this so badly. Uh, because sometimes you just think you're, you're crazy, you're insane. You know, everywhere you go and then you come to a place like this and you go, okay, maybe I'm not so crazy. You know, or maybe we all are together. It's just, it's just one of the things where we go, I'm, I'm blown away. Honestly, I'm praying and just trying to figure out what to say because when I was your age, those of you in college, my mindset was nowhere near where yours is right now. I mean, to consider giving your life up to go to the ends of the earth and believing that Jesus is so worth it, that was so not in my vocabulary during those years. I just didn't get it. I, I, I grew up in a time when it was just, hey, pray a prayer, ask Jesus in your heart, and then just go do your own thing, and now you're not going to hell. There wasn't any concept of, of, of Jesus being so worth it that you would just deny yourself and pick up your cross and just follow him and go to the ends of the earth. And for some of you to be thinking that right now at your age, I get so excited for that. Um, you know, Jimmy asked me to share a few words just about my life because he said probably many of you don't know who I am. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, I, my, my mom died while she was giving birth to me. So I, I love that thought that this woman gave her life so I could be on this earth. My dad remarried and then my, my stepmother died in a car accident when I was eight. And then my dad got married again. He's a good looking guy. And, uh, obviously, um, he, uh, he got married again, um, but then, uh, when, when I was 12, my dad died of cancer, and so, by the time I was in junior high, high school, I'm already thinking, hey, what's, what's, what's life about? You know, I'm very grateful for the deaths of my parents because it got me thinking at an early age, man, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Man, lately, one of the things I've been doing is looking at these countdown clocks that they give me at every, every uh, you know, conference, and I, and I just try to imagine, okay, what if that's a countdown of my existence? Like, what would I say during this time if I'm watching those seconds tick off and I'm about to come in the presence of God? And it's been so good for my soul because if I think that way, I don't really care what anyone thinks about me afterwards. I mean, if I know I'm about to face God in a few minutes, do you think I'll care what you think, right? It's like, I'm going to come before God. And it's this, this mindset that God's given me ever since I was a kid of, man, it's not about the stuff here on this earth. Man, life is short. Went to school. Uh, I, was, I got saved in high school. Um, fell in love with Jesus in high school. And man, I started thinking about heaven and hell all the time. Like, okay, what really matters? I got to tell all of my friends about Jesus. I, I remember, you know, just, just different periods in my time. I remember being a junior in, in high school and grabbing my high school yearbook and looking at all the seniors that were about to graduate and thinking, I'm not going to see them ever again. And so I just started calling them, everyone I knew, one at a time. And going, dude, this is going to be the weirdest phone call, but I, I got to say something to you about something that's changed in my life because it was that real to me, this idea of heaven and hell, and I need to tell people about Jesus. 
went off to uh, Bible college seminary and, and shortly after uh, met my wife, who I've been married to for 20 years now. Yeah. We, uh, we have uh, our oldest daughter is, is your age. She's in, in college and uh, my wife is pregnant with our seventh child right now. And uh, yeah. So obviously our marriage is good. Um, but uh, shortly after we were married, actually two weeks after we were married, I looked at my new bride and I was like, honey, I feel like God's wanting me to start a church. I go, we've never talked about this. And... Um, it's just happening now. I didn't know this. Like, like I really believe God wants I, even just a few people in our house. I just want the real thing. And um, I said, so if you don't mind, I, I don't want to take any money from the church. You mind supporting us? Um, that's a weird thing to ask your new wife. Will you work and support us? Because I think God's calling me to start a church. And my wife just says, you know, I believe that God wants you to lead me. And if this is what you believe he wants you to do, then let's do it. And that was amazing to me, to have someone who believed in me and supported me and just said, I'll, I'll follow because I believe you're following God. That, that was a new concept to me, radically changed me. So I, I, I believe very much in marriage and what God created. And um, we started a church and God just started to bless it. And before we knew it, thousands of people were coming. And 16 years later, you know, church plans, college, everything. I started to just wonder, going, God, I, something doesn't feel right. Man, I, I just, just, just realized that all these people are coming. And I, I even wrote a book, you know, called Crazy Love. And because, because I, was, I was looking at church, I was looking at my experience, and I was thinking about, man, ever since I was a kid, I would read this book. And, and then I would attend church. And I would just feel like, man, these are like two totally different things. Like I would read about the commitment level and the, and, and the miracles and the amazing things that would happen in this book. And then I would sit in a service, listen to a sermon, sing some songs and go home and go, gosh, is, does anyone else see this? And I thought that ever since I was young, but I never said anything about it. And I remember there just came a point in my life, I remember it was when I turned 40. I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to say it. I'm 40, I'm practically dead. Let's just say it. Seriously, you start thinking, man, I don't know how much longer I've got and I'm gonna come before him. And so I just started asking people, I go, man, don't you ever read this book and then just look at your life and everything you experience and go, man, maybe we're missing it. Man, I remember just looking at a bunch of college students and everyone was looking at me going, yeah, I've thought that. I've thought that. I'll read this and the power of, of, of a person coming from death to life. And, and I, I remember just talking to my church about it. And I go, gosh, it just seems like people bring people so that I'll speak to them. I'm going, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You can tell people about Jesus. And I said, I'm concerned about our church because I hear the words Francis Chan more than I hear the words Holy Spirit. 
And we're going to go nowhere with that. And it just became this burden that we, we, we can't just go to people and rely so much on them. But each person has to understand their gifts. And, you know, we, we create this system where people didn't want to talk about Jesus. So it's like, well, bring your friends to church and the pastor will talk about him for you. You know, bring your kids and my, my, my child care workers will disciple them. Bring your youth and my youth pastors will disciple them. Bring your college students, my college pastors will, will, will work it out for them. You know, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll take care of it. You just let, let us do it all. Man, I, I even remember early on when I was a pastor, this, this one pastor was talking about this, this Christmas program that he had, this play, you know, where they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars literally and they had people come and, and i'm not against all this they're, they're, it was a wonderful thing he, they had people rehearsing he goes man they would come for months they would spend like 20 hours a week rehearsing and they would do this for months and then he would talk about the wonderful things that god did through that and i go man that's so good and i remember going up to him afterwards and going man that's so cool but I just want to ask something. I go, all those people that were coming to the church building to practice, I said, if they had spent that 20 hours a week talking to their next door neighbors and inviting them over to dinner, wouldn't that have accomplished a lot more? And it would have been free? And, and he, this was his answer. He said to me, he goes, oh yeah, absolutely. He goes, but no one's willing to do that. And I, I remember back then as a young pastor, I just said, oh yeah, you're right. But that's not my answer now. I mean, back then I was like, yeah, you're right. They're not going to actually talk to someone about Jesus. You know, so, so let's, let's lower the bar. Oh, you don't want to talk to your neighbor well? Will you dress up like a reindeer and sing? You know, come on. And uh, okay, okay, well, let's do that. And we just kept lowering, lowering and making it so that it takes no courage that we don't have to depend on the Spirit's power to believe that, you know what, you made me to be a witness to go out and talk to people about Jesus. And so it was just this desire to see the church grow and say, you know what, you've got power. You can lead others. You can make disciples. And as we started heading down this path, pretty soon me and the elders started asking a question like, Francis, do you think maybe you're even getting in the way in the church of that happening? Like everyone's so used to you and dependent on you that, that, that we began to just ask the question, could it be better for our church if I left? And we began to pray about that and think about that. And there came a point when I looked at my wife and we were just talking about our future and we just thought, you know what, it's it's time. It's, it's time to, to go. It's time to try something else. It's time to step out in faith again. You know, because you can take steps of faith at different points in your life, but you, before you know it, you get comfortable again. And you set things up so it doesn't require faith anymore. And to take that step again each time is difficult. And remember, my wife just looked at me at that time, and she just says, Honey, if we know that God has us somewhere else, shouldn't we just sell everything we have right now and then just go and have no home? I'm like, really? She was pregnant with our fifth kid at this time. 
I go, seriously, like just sell our house, pack everything up, and then just have no idea where we're going. She's like, well, yeah, if we know that this isn't where God wants us. And I'm like, you're the pregnant one. I'll go, you know, let's do it. And man, we, we just, we went overseas. Um, and we just prayed as a family, God, is this it? We went to India and go, God, is this where you want us to stay as we walked around? Like, God, we don't have anywhere to go. Man, it was, it was so freeing. It was so amazing. You would think that would be the most insecure time, but it was the most secure we felt in the Lord. It was like, gosh, this is awesome. God's with us. We'll go anywhere. You know, we went to China and, 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 and looked at the underground church and was learning over that. And man, I was blown away. This is what I'd always read about, what I always imagined. Like, wow, that looks like that came right out of the New Testament. You know, I, I would hear, you know, I, I remember this just sitting in the underground church in China when they were training people and, and, and they said, you know, you can take one of your kids with you, but you can't bring the whole family. It's a little dangerous. We don't, you know, so I took my oldest daughter and she was the most expendable and, and we went and, and I remember just sitting there listening to these stories of persecution and I'm just asking more and more and they're looking at me like, why are you so into this? And I go, because this is not what we do in America. We don't get persecuted like that. I go, we have buildings that we call churches. And, 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 and you go, and if you don't really like the teacher, you go to a different one. And if you like the music better somewhere else, you'll switch. If the child cares better, you switch. If you get in a fight with someone, you switch. And we just say, I go, it's very different in America. And these people started laughing. I mean, I wasn't even trying to be funny. I was just like explaining, like, this is what we do, you know, Easter, Christmas, you know, and they're like, they're laughing. And even afterwards, my daughter looked at me, she goes, Dad, did you hear the way they laughed? I go, yeah. She goes, you weren't even being funny. I go, I know. I mean, they're laughing hysterically, but it was just so crazy to me that it hit me that it's like, wow, they laugh at what we call church, what we call Christianity. They just don't get it. They're just going, how did you get that from this book? You know, what, what, what happened to going out and making disciples and, and actually risking your life and being rejected and following the footsteps of Christ? I mean, it was just this eye-opener. Then being in India and speaking to a bunch of people who had, who had lost family members because they, they, had been, they had been killed, martyred for their faith, seeing people missing limbs with scars all over their bodies, telling me their story. And I remember I was supposed to get up and speak, and I'm just going, I have nothing to say to you. I, I, I don't even get it. You're in this other world. All I can say is thank you because you're an example to me. And I look at your life, I want to live like that. And after a few months in Asia, man, I just, we thought we were going to be in, in Hong Kong. So we, you know, start looking at apartments and schools for our kids. And I just really sensed the Lord speaking to me and saying, you know, you, you, you kind of chickened out there in, in America. You, you didn't really finish. You got a little scared and all the criticism got to you. And there's some things you haven't finished. And I believe the Lord wanted me back here to join with others and saying, no, you know what? The church in America can change. 
you know? We, it doesn't have to be just on our missions trips that we live like missionaries, but that we, we don't, you know, that, that we're soldiers. Yeah. Where the Bible says we don't get entangled by civilian affairs. And I remember getting back in the airport, flying to the U.S., sitting there at the airport in China, and no one wanted to go back to the U.S. because of everything we experienced in Christ. And I gathered my wife and my two oldest daughters, and I said, what are we going to do? Because I don't want to sink back into this comfort. I want to really live for the kingdom. But you know all the things that trap us out there. And I remember my wife looked at me and she says, you know, just when we go back, we can't let people talk us out of things. She says, that was our problem. Sometimes we read the Bible and we knew what God said. We could see it in his word. But then we get around some church people and they start talking and rationalizing and, and talking us out of our convictions. And she goes, when we go back, we can't let that happen. Don't let people talk you out of things. And now I'm in San Francisco, started a ministry based upon discipleship, where guys coming out of prison or out of, out of uh, addiction, they'll come into one of our, into our home, into this house that we have where, where uh, they're, they're, they're bunking with someone who's a mentor and they just walk them through the word. They go out on the streets, knock on doors, pray for people. We've planted churches out of the homes that are multiplying. Man, a lot of, a lot of great things are happening. But I, I just want to, the thing I want to focus on is what my wife said in the airport that day. Like, don't let people talk you out of things. Because when I think about you guys and, and your focus right now, I go, man, don't lose that. There's going to be so many lies thrown your way. There are going to be so many temptations, and you know that in your life right now, that will try to derail you. I mean, you're on the right path. You're focusing on him, but everything is going to be distracting you. So many lies where Satan is going to make you these false promises and make you think that it's going to lead to life. But he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You start pursuing those things, and you're going to find the emptiness of it at some point. And so I've just been praying, God, protect them. Protect these guys. Like I said, I, I didn't um, have your mindset at your age. But I wanted to share something that I've learned in the last 30 years of ministry. One of the main things is that things aren't going to work out the way you think they will. Um, and I spent a lot of years stressing out, trying to serve God, making things happen a certain way. And I know some of you right now are trying to figure out your life. And you're kind of stressing yourself out, going, man, do I go here? Do I go here? Do I go here? Am I in the will of God? And then what if I go this direction? Am I going to mess this up? Am I going to mess that up? And you're trying to plan. And, and, and something I learned is just I, I overestimated my own ability to build the church of Christ. And I underestimated his desire to build his own church. 
And I just kept working and working and working. And, and like, like in Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. I saw myself just trying, striving after things. And yet there's other times when I just prayed, just did my thing, just walked closely with the Lord and the way that stuff came together. Because later on in that Psalm, you know, it, it, it talks about how in vain you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It talks about the one person that's just stressing out, going, man, how do I do this? How do I do this? And yet his beloved, he gives him rest. In fact, some people say you can interpret that passage saying that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Where it's like, I'm just resting and God's working somehow for my benefit. If you don't believe me, ask someone around you. So those, those of you in college, look for an old person. They're, they're easy to find. Um, and just say, hey, did things work out like you thought they would, you know? And, and, and to a person, it's going to be, no way. I never thought I'd be in this place. Man, when I was your age, I would never have dreamt I would be in this place right now. I hear that over and over and over again. So I'm just saying to those of you in college, just calm down. You know, don't stress yourself out because it's probably not going to work the way you think it will. And just stay close to the Lord. See, you've been given an impossible task, an impossible mandate, right? This is impossible. Jesus is telling you, I want you to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to talk to people and get them to believe that Jesus Christ, not what they've believed their whole life and not what their ancestors have believed for generations. I want you to get these people to believe that Jesus Christ, whom they've never even heard of, was the son of God who came down on the earth, took the form of an infant, eventually died on the cross paying for all of their sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and one day is coming back to judge the world? Like, like that's, that's all. You look at that and you go, God, that's impossible in this world that's so hostile towards the cross. In this world that's saying, why would you judge them? Just let them believe what they're already believing. How can you tell there's only one way that's so arrogant and yet that's our job? Knowing that that is seemingly impossible, the dumbest thing we could do is just try to use this to figure it all out and say, I'm going to figure out a strategy. I, I, I'm going to get these people to believe. You guys, we're, we're talking about getting people to surrender their whole lives to this story, to this Jesus, which is obvious to us who know him but it's the most ignorant thing in their minds to believe what we believe. So how do we do it? How do we pull off this world mandate, this command? I'll tell you how not to do it. We don't do it through worldly strategies. 
I, I mean, that's, I was taught worldly strategy. I was taught, you know, when I was a youth pastor, get the quarterback and the head cheerleader, get them to become Christians, get them into your youth group, and you'll have the rest of the school. And yet I look at 1 Corinthians 1, and it seemed like God actually chose the people that no one else would choose. It was like the foolish, it was like the fishermen, the tax collectors that God chose. And I found myself early on almost showing some favoritism, which is the exact opposite of what God called us to. And you'll run into this too. It's not that you'll give them the best seat in church, but sometimes we'll give our attention a little extra attention to those who have a little more money because they can fund our mission trips. And it can start sneaking in there where you start putting one person above the other and strategizing and figuring out how this is going to work. And for those of you who are going to raise money for your mission trips, I guarantee you, again, it's not going to come from where you think it's going to come. It's it's just crazy. God just humbles us that way and says, I'll give it to you, but it's not through your strategy. I look back in life, man, the greatest things that have happened in my life were not things I could have planned. And yet how many times have my strategies failed? The scripture is clear. Fruit, lasting fruit, comes from loving God deeply and loving people deeply. I know that's very, very simplistic, but it's exactly what Jesus said. I want to read some words of his. This is before he was, he was heading to the cross, his last few hours with his disciples. His disciples know the task at hand, and they know that Jesus is about to die on the cross, and, and, and they're, they're afraid. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a counselor. There's going to be this other one. But then he makes some remarkable statements. And I just want to read from John chapter 15. Okay, I'm going to read from the Word of God. And I know sometimes at conferences, we look more forward to someone's explanation of God's Word than just hearing the pure Word itself. And, and, I, and, and he's like, okay, okay, well, well, we didn't bring you out here just to read words. But I'm saying, look, try right now. I'm going to read through some verses in John 15 and make this the highlight right now. Imagine Jesus himself. I mean, if Jesus came here right now physically, in, I mean, in the flesh, that'd be the highlight, right? I mean, that video was pretty funny, but... The highlight would be Jesus came and these words came out of his mouth. Okay, this is exactly what we're talking about right here. This is coming from Jesus himself. John chapter 15. Right before he heads to the cross, he has some words with his disciples and he says this. This is Jesus speaking to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So Jesus makes it clear that if I'm not connected to him, I am guaranteed no fruit. He says it very clearly, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I brought a branch. Look, if we all work together, do you think we could make this branch bear fruit? 
No, it's, I mean, you could tape like an apple to it or something, you know, and make it look like, oh, no, 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 look, look. And I feel like we do this sometimes. We work so hard, but man, this branch has, it's got no chance, okay? He can try like, you know, like nothing, nothing's gonna happen. And Jesus says, that's how ridiculous you look when you're not with me, you're not abiding in me, and you're just out working, you're gonna labor in vain. You're gonna try all this stuff, and you're gonna think, and you're gonna talk to all these people with all these different strategies, but I promise you, if you're not abiding in me, you're not gonna have any fruit that lasts. No real fruit's gonna happen. So everything, everything depends on this. But then he says in the very next verse, he goes, I'm the vine, you are the branches, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So then there's a guarantee. Okay, see, this is why I'm saying don't stress out about all these other things. Jesus Christ, I mean, these were his words. He guarantees. He says, if you abide in me, he is the one that's going to bear much fruit. Look, I struggle with this. I'll see people on the earth doing amazing things and I'll start thinking, man, maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I should have done it like him. Seems like he's accomplishing more. Seems like she's accomplishing more. We'll look at all these people everywhere and we start trying to follow all these patterns instead of just going back to, wait, 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 God, you promised if I just abide in you and you abide in me, I'm guaranteed to bear fruit. Are you abiding in Jesus today? I had a friend of mine call a couple months ago. He's, he's really my mentor. He's, he's maybe my hero here on this earth. Um, he's a minister out in India. I, I love him dearly. He, he is my hero. He's led millions, literally millions to the Lord. And he called me and he was crying one day. A couple months ago, because another pastor in the U.S. that was a friend of his with a big church committed adultery, and you know, same old story. And he's, but he's weeping, and he's crying on the phone, and I'm just, I don't, I don't know what to say. And he, he, he wasn't judgmental in any way. I mean, he was just sad. He goes, I get so sad when I meet pastors in the in America. He goes, a lot of times I'll walk away from pastors and, and I just go, oh God, I wish he knew Jesus. And he wasn't saying in a judgmental way. He was just saying, gosh, it just seems like there's a way that you guys do these things and without really just being connected to him. And he made the statement, he goes, it seems like in America, a lot of people are content to meet with Moses. Don't they know they can go up the mountain themselves and meet with God? God, and those words were so true. I thought that's so true of us. We attach ourselves to people. It's like I want to take a selfie with Moses. You know, seriously. And God, you know, and he was just saying, he goes, don't you understand? You can walk up that mountain and just come before the great I am. You have access to him. Are you longing for that? Are you connected with him? Do you know him? Because even a great movement like this, even something like this 
we can get so attached to that itself rather than Jesus himself. I had another pastor from India who, who said to me, he goes, I've been studying movements. I've been studying the great movements of God. He goes, you know how a great movement starts? It's when the founder really, really knows Jesus. And he says, you know how movements die? He says it's when his followers only really know the founder and they don't know Jesus himself. And I thought, gosh, that's so true. We start these things. You know, someone who just is so connected with God, God God blesses and the fruit starts happening. And then we tend to, rather than attach ourselves to the vine, we attach ourselves to Moses. We attach ourselves to a person and say, I'm a part of this, I'm a part of that, rather than I'm, a, I'm, I'm connected to Jesus. And I would beg you, abide in Jesus. The greatest things in my life is just, it's just those times when I was connected to Jesus. And I was telling some of the leaders earlier, you know, one of my, my problems is sometimes I worship accomplishment. And I'll, I'll just try to do this or try to do that rather than worship Jesus. I, I'm so into achievement. It, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Solomon, right? He just kept doing stuff. And, and he did pray, and it was a good prayer to say, God, you know, the one thing I ask for, wisdom. Wisdom to lead your people. And God said, that's a great prayer because you didn't ask for wealth or everything else. I'll give you all that too. But that's great that you, 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 you asked for wisdom. And I, and I believe that's a good prayer. But I just, someone threw it in my mind a, a few months ago where I go, where, where he says, you know what? Are we sure that was that great of a prayer? He goes, because when, when David prayed and said, the one thing I want In Psalm 27, he says, I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I just want to gaze upon his beauty in the temple. I just, I just want, I just want Jesus. This this is the one thing I want. I just want to, I just want to be close to God. And you see how that worked out for him. This is the one thing I ask for. God, this is all I ask. I just want to know you. I want to experience you like Moses, right? When, when, when Moses, you know, God's saying, what, what do you want? And, and Moses, I just want you. Can I see you? And, and then Moses, you know, God says to Moses, look, you can go to the promised land, Exodus 33. He says, you can even have, I'll, I'll send an angel in front of you. You'll get the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. You've got it all. I'm just not going with you because I might kill you all. And what does Moses say? Moses says, no, no deal. Look, if you don't come with me, I'm not going to go. I don't care about the promised land. I got to have you, God. Man, is that you? See, because it's it's, it's very subtle, but our promised land can suddenly just be, okay, I just want to get on the mission field and and die in the name of Christ. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, no, no, no. At the very core of it is this relationship with him where you go, God, I just want to abide in you. This one thing I ask is I just want to dwell in your house all the days of my life. God, I'm not going to go anywhere without you. I just want to be attached to you. Everything else will work itself out. I just want you. I desire you. I mean, when David prayed that, 
He says, there's one thing I ask. If I could get a transcript of your prayers over the last month, and I read through all of your prayers over the last month, what would I see is the one thing you asked for? When I go, man, there is a girl that loves Jesus. She just wants more of Jesus. She just wants to know him more. She wants to be closer to him, to be more like him. Man, there is a guy that is just adoring Jesus. He just wants to be closer and closer. Man, all he prays for is, God, I just want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Is that what I would read in the transcript of your prayers? Because Jesus is saying, look, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. In fact, in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He goes, you want to know how to honor God? He goes, God, God says, I want you to bear a ton of fruit. This is how the Father is glorified. It's by you bearing a lot of fruit. But you bearing a lot of fruit is not by you on your own trying to figure out. It's by you abiding in him. Okay, now I'm going to get a little complicated. Verse 16 was so strange to me. Okay, and those who know me know that I don't do complicated well. I am Captain Obvious. Um, But I'm going to try to explain something in verse 16. So try to stick with me. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay, look, look at that phrase, so that. That's a very weird place for that. Look at this phrase. He's saying, okay, I get the first part. You didn't choose me. I chose you. That was very clear of the disciples, right? Jesus looked at them and said, follow me. I hope you understand that about yourself. It wasn't that you were just so godly that you, you went after Jesus. There was something he did. And he picked you out and he pointed at you and says, look, I'm, I'm going to choose you. He goes, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So Jesus says, look, you didn't pick me. I picked you. This, this is me. I'm the initiator, and I actually chose you to bear fruit, and your fruit would last. I mean, right there, all the pressure's taken off. Because it's not like, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta produce some fruit. I gotta produce some fruit. How am I gonna produce fruit? He goes, no, no, calm down. I chose you. I appointed you. I'm gonna make sure you bear fruit. Fruit that lasts. It's like, okay. Okay, take a deep breath. God chose me, appointed me, that I'm going to go bear fruit, and my fruit is going to abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Wait, what? So that? So you chose me to bear fruit, fruit that would last, so that whatever I ask the Father in Jesus' name, he would give it to you. Like the purpose, I was trying, wait, why would that say so that? It should be the other way. 
But you see what he's saying? I, I actually believe, and I was just looking at this, and I'm not certain, but I actually believe this is the answer to that question that many of us have been asked, that if God already knows what's going to happen, then why pray? Right? If God already ordained every day in my life, then why pray? And I was looking at this passage, I go, gosh, this might be the answer to that. Because we, we often think that prayer is for us, that it's just for us. And we don't understand that everything we do, whether we eat, drink, or pray, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And God is saying that he's going to choose us and have us bear fruit, and our fruit's going to last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. See, God is, what he's saying is he's going to give us, he gives us his spirit, we fall in love with him, we abide in him, and what happens? We begin to pray for things. We pray for things in Jesus' name. We no longer pray for selfish desires like James talks about. Those prayers aren't answered anyways, but we begin to pray saying, God, you know what? All I care about, I mean, I've been praying this. I'm going, God, all I care about is I just want my life to count, right? Many of you have prayed that. You say, God, I just want something to happen in my life. I just want to do something in your name. That's all. This is what I want. And what God is saying is he's saying, look, I'm going to have you pray that prayer. And then you know what? I'm actually going to abide in you. You're going to abide in me, and you're going to bear a bunch of fruit. And by the answering of that prayer of fruit, the Father is going to be glorified. Because prayer is about giving glory to the Father. And when we say, God, yeah, I, I want to bear a bunch of fruit for you. I want people to fall in love with you around the world. I want to be used somehow by you. And then Jesus says, you know what? I'm, I actually chose you for that purpose, and I knew you were going to pray that, and I'm going to answer that prayer, and the Father's going to be glorified by the fruit that people see in your life because that's the way they're going to prove. You're going to prove that you're one of my disciples. And, I, and when I was looking at that, I'm going, gosh, God, then why do I stress out so much? Why do I keep running around as though I've got to make it happen? Nothing's going to stop God from bringing glory to himself. And God has chosen us and said, look, this is how I bring glory to myself. I'm going to take some of you. You're nobody. There wasn't anything great about you. But I chose you. I filled you with my spirit. You start desiring to bear fruit, you even prayed that. And so I answered that prayer, and I'm gonna to continue to answer that prayer, and I'm gonna be glorified by you being the answer to that prayer. You're gonna bear fruit. I, uh, when I was thinking about this, I, I shared how I, was in Hong Kong saying, God, I don't even know what to do. I felt like God wanted me to rethink church and discipleship. And I told God at that time, I still remember in Hong Kong, I go, God, okay, if this is really you, I'm not gonna go home and start recruiting. I'm not gonna go back to the US and try to find the best worship leader, the best staff, the best this or that. I go, God, because you may just have some guy walk in the street, some drug addict, become my right-hand guy. 
And whoever you choose is going to end up being better than whoever I would choose. And I remember, I just want to live this thing out biblically. And I remember just going, okay, I think God wants me in San Francisco. There was a place I could live, you know, bring my family. And I just thought, how can I live like Jesus? I, I'm, just, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. And I remember just walking the streets of San Francisco and thinking, you know what, God? Somehow Jesus was able to walk around and know who his disciples were going to be. So God, just bring them to me. I don't know who it's going to be. I just wanted to do it like Jesus did in the Bible. I wanted to go over to Fisherman's Wharf and go, cast your net on the other side. You know, like I, I just, I want this, you know? Don't you just sometimes go, I just want to do it just like I see it here because I want it all. And then one day I was walking down this street in, in San Francisco and this, this guy comes up to me, big guy, tattoos on his face. And he goes, aren't you Francis Chan? I'm like, no, you know, it was a... No, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he, you know, we, I got to know this guy. He goes, man, I, I watched your DVD series when I was in prison. You know, I've spent 12 of the last 13 years in prison. And uh, I'm getting out in a few weeks. You know, I started talking to this guy. And I saw the light of Christ in him. He was telling me the temptations. He had a wife and three kids and going, man, all I know is what's in front of you because it's a really bad area. Drug deals everywhere. He goes, that's all I know, but I'm not going to give in. He goes, no one will hire me. No one will give me a place to live, but God's going to come through. God's going to come through. And the more I hung out with this guy, I just thought, ah, he seems like the real thing. And, uh, and I remember just going home to my wife and going, honey, I met this guy. And uh, I don't know, I see the Holy Spirit in him. Just wondering if he and his wife and kids could live with us. Um, and uh, so I brought him, I go, I want you to meet him first though, okay? I just, I, 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 you, you decide. And I bring him home. I'm like, oh, you know, is he cute? He's got an ankle monitor. He, it's just, uh, <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, I've, I've got five little girls, you know, and it's just like this, this, this whole thing. But my wife, again, just this woman of God, just like, no, I do see the Holy Spirit in him. And, uh, and we've brought other, I bring people home all the time, but usually I can beat them up. Um, <laughs> I said, honey, you're on your own on this one. Uh, um, but amazing thing. I started discipling him, fell in love with this guy. My wife starts discipling his wife. My kids start hanging out with his kids. Six months they lived with us, and we just saw the light of Christ in them. Um, it's two years later now, and he's a pastor. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing. He, I actually, about two months ago, I gave over the ministry to him. I go, you know, why am I running this ministry? You're making more disciples than I am. You're the one knocking on doors. You're the one that's getting people into this home. You're the one that's discipling them. And, and, and you know what? You, you be the pastor of this gathering over here. You just have to train someone else to become a pastor and just keep multiplying this church. He, he grabbed a guy. He's currently um, discipling the, the police sergeant in, in San Francisco. And yeah, it's just the craziest thing. And teaching him how to be a pastor. And now I'm just listening to this guy and watching all the disciples, all of the fruit. And I'm just going, Lord, I did nothing. 
You know, it's, it's just you, you try to produce all of this fruit. And you, man, how many times in my life I try to make things happen. But when you just say, you know what, Lord, let me just walk with you. Let me try to walk like Christ. And stuff just starts happening. I mean, I can't dare take credit for what God's doing in this guy's life. And if that was the only reason I moved to San Francisco, great. The guy's doing amazing things. See, sometimes it's not a giant arena filled with people and going, oh, I, I want to speak to that crowd. Man, it's, it's, the, it's just walking with Jesus, making disciples. Your disciples start making disciples and things start happening. And I, I guess really the message the Lord put on my heart for you is look at your life right now. I don't want you get to get started on the wrong pattern of stressing out and trying to figure out everything you've got to do. I want, man, I've just been praying, oh God, what do I want tonight? I, I wish all of you, all of you, and I don't know you, okay, so maybe you do this, but I wish all of you just loved, loved being with Jesus to the point where you just make time to just go, man, I just want to get away from the world and I just want to walk up that mountain and come into the presence of God himself. I don't want anyone with me. I just want to be with him because there's a sense of awe of like, oh, oh my gosh, God, I'm in your presence. You, you're all that matters. Gosh, you know me. You hold every breath in your hands. I'm going to face you one day. You gave your son to die for me. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. I just want to abide in you. I just want to know you more and more and more. What does your word have to say? What does it say? I want to tremble at your word. What does it say? I just want to do it. And to just let go of all these other voices. Man, that has been everything for me. Learning how to just be in the presence of God and love him and know him and know him and know him. That doesn't mean I don't get distracted. It happens all the time. That's what Satan is going to try to do in your life. Because I think, I mean, leaders think, what if everyone in this room literally just came into the presence of God on their own daily, deeply, and then we gather together at times like this, the power of a bunch of Moseses who just came off the mountain going, man, I just was with God. Because you look at his life, look at Moses. What made Moses great? He didn't have a strategy. Oh, let's go over by the Red Sea. He didn't have a it was just the man knew God, right? Even to the point where you, you read it like in, in Numbers uh, chapter 12-ish where uh, you've got Miriam and Aaron and they were talking behind Moses' back. Remember that? And they were talking about his wife and everything else. And then God calls for, Mo, for uh, Miriam and, and, and Aaron and just says, you guys are talking about Moses. God says this. How dare you talk about Moses? He goes, don't you get it? He goes, usually God says, when I speak to a prophet, I'll speak to him in a dream or maybe a vision. But with Moses, I actually talk to him with my voice. 
and you're going to talk behind his back? Someone that I literally talked to? Are you kidding me? And he strikes her with leprosy? Man, it's just a powerful thought because it's, it's never about someone figuring it out on their own. It's always about those who just really know him. And God says, you know, with Moses, I, I, I just talked to him. He, he's a friend. Abraham's a friend of God. Jesus says, you're my friends. If you do what I command. And the truth is, is this book is all about people who knew Jesus people who trusted in God, knew him deeply. Because when you know God, any strategy will work. You can just march around a wall seven times. You know, it's gonna work. And if you're not close to him, nothing's gonna work. No strategy's gonna work. So I would just love it right now if we just, I know we're in a group setting, but sometimes even in a group, you, you can just forget about everyone else in a room and just go up the mountain and be alone with God. Man, I do this in restaurants sometimes where I just, I'll just block out all the noise and I'll just close my eyes and come in, in the presence of God. So I want us to do that and I... And maybe during this time, there's some of you that are just saying, man, you talk about knowing God and having this intimacy with him. But I'm not sure that I know him. This is so important, you guys. Your relationship with God must be your own relationship where you know that you are attached to him. You alone, because at the end it's just you and God. And he either says, come on in, well done, good and faithful servant, or he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I was never attached to you. You were never attached to me. You never abided in me. And maybe there's some of you even tonight. I mean, I know this is supposed to be about missions and getting to the ends of the earth. But man, I never just assume because, oh, a bunch of people say they want to go to the ends of the earth, that, that they know Jesus. And so, man, my heart is just going out to you. He's telling you, man, you've got to know him. And if you don't, man, I want to invite you. I don't know, we set up for that where, where if you, you just go, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I really have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure that I really know him. Then we're going to ask you to just to come forward and stand here at the altar. And there'll be some counselors, some leaders that will pray for you and help you understand that. But for the rest of us, I would just ask, would you just bow your heads right now? Just close your eyes. Just forget about me. Just walk right past Moses. Come into the presence of God. Come before him with confidence because of the blood of Jesus.
And just abide in him right now. Just talk to him. <laughs>